Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers. This week on the show, we look at the key information coming out of the examiner reports and what students can do to perform better in the next sitting. We also hear recent news stories about the slowdown in the global economy and how one car manufacturer is recalling vehicles worldwide before getting to this week's student questions. I'm Connor and I'm joined today by Alan. Hello, everybody. So, Alan, we've both at this stage been through a lot of the examiner reports, probably all of them between us for our exam report debriefs. Um, I suppose, is there any key trends that you saw coming up or even specific things for subjects? So I think every examiner probably says, we told you the last time not to do this, yet you keep doing it. So no matter what subject, and and I think, I don't don't know whether students are even reading the examiner reports, um, because I, I think the SBR one comes to mind, said like, in the last report, we told you to avoid, do a presentation like this. And then he said, we put in the same exam. And what examining teams are going to do if students are not doing something very well, they're going to keep on examining it. So um, that was a big trend. I think the other big one that I noticed was um, in a lot of the examiner reports that the examining teams are are being able to pick up on the fact that students are studying in the last minute and don't understand what they're actually putting in their exams. So they might be asked a question on, on tax or on accounting and they're providing all the theory because they haven't had time for it to sink in and, and to assimilate the information. Yeah, I think that was, on both of those points, it was pretty clear. I think your first point, like having looked at these examiner reports for the last few sittings, you could really just change the month in it. Yeah. Like, I nearly feel that's how the examiner, so look at it, that, you know, they say, where before they said, this is an area that students perform poorly in March. Now it says, this is an area that students perform poorly in June and yeah. March. And Insert probably month here. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I think they're, and I think they try to stress that they're, it's just th- the amount of times they use the word continuously. They say, this is an area students continuously perform badly and will continuously examine effectively. Yeah. The logic of it amazes me. And I am talking to all the people listening to us right now and wondering why you're not reading an examiner report. And it is like, it's the person effectively who wrote your exam and who's managing the marking of your exam. And they're telling you what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And I remember when I was doing exams and those examiner reports were there. And the first thing I started with was, well, what? how do they want me to present something? Because like APM, for example, they like you to do a little bit of theory at the beginning and then get on with the application, whereas SBL is more about application. And if you're doing APM and you read, oh, this is what the examiner wants me to do, you kind of already have in your head the structure of what any question is going to look like. They, they want me to do a little bit of theory. They want me to organise it like this. They want me to structure it like this. Yeah. Then you've, they've effectively given you a template on how to answer questions. Yeah, and I think that, that came up in a lot of them. I was looking at the, the audit and assurance one, um, and it's talking about you know audit risks and responses. And I think it said students who laid this out in a table got maximum marks because they hit all the requirements so it's kind of just highlighting if you use that table you're not going to have a risk that you don't have a response for because you'll see it in your table so there's a lot of you know it's not just kind of indications of syllabus areas some parts is is very good general advice that you can bring in like one thing i noticed or, or it'll highlight at least parts that you need to think about I think it was in, um, it might have been advanced audit. It said students who left the 50 mark question to the end performed worse on it because they didn't have enough time or they yeah. didn't manage their time. Now, that's not saying you have to um, 
you know, that you should always do that first. But it certainly makes a point that, you know, you need to leave half of your exam time for that. And a lot of people aren't doing that. They're getting caught up in the first two 25 mark questions and then they're not having enough time for that and they're doing bad on the exam. Well, it still baffles me that time management is an issue. And I feel like I'm on this whirlwind tour of every couple of weeks we talk about time management and I must be, and I'm thinking when we're bringing up time management and exam advice and you always mention time management and you're thinking, God, we constantly mention time management. Surely like they must be really bored. And then you see the next set of exams and people are failing because of time management. Yeah. And you're thinking like, it's nobody listening. <laughs> like, there's lots of people like we're doing these podcasts because people are listening to them. But are you really listening or are you kind of chuckling away and looking at the birds passing in the sky while you're listening to this? And I think it's important that there's lots of really good free advice out there from people who are determining your future and they're just not yeah. being listened to. And I think the thing with time management is it's really not rocket science. And no. people, it's not this, you know, you don't need to have this this great sense of how time is going by. You just split it up with how much marks are available for that question and you divide the amount of time you have for the paper for it, that. It is number of marks multiplied by 1.8 gives you number yeah. of minutes. It so, is the simplest. And you just apply that. So if you have a 20 mark question and a 10 mark question, you're going to be spending twice as long on the 20 mark because that's yeah. where the value is. And it, once you get that into your head, you know, even if you're... You, you think you have this amazing point you can add to your 25 mark question if you're eating into time that you have to answer this 50 marks at the exam at the end of the exam you're just really going to struggle to get any marks you're really going to struggle even if it's not in this exam even if you get away with it that will catch up with you eventually you really have to and it comes back to that thing be ruthless with your time chase the marks in the paper um so yeah it's it's a huge point that we well i know a number of examiners <laughs> a number of examiners will say that if that a student is getting 80% of marks in the first 50% of time they're spending answering the question. Yeah. So the amount of marks you're getting, oh no, I'll just spend an extra few minutes because oh, it's okay because I know the subject really well. You're getting your 80% up to 81 or 82, but you could be getting 10, 15, 20 marks really easily in that time. And it's just like, just stop, leave a page do it and, and start the next question. If you've got a bit of time at the end, you can finish it, but you're only doing yourself a disservice. The other um, the other point I saw in one or two, but it was really clear in another, was that the examiner said a lot of people missed um, part of a question, but they made a point saying it wasn't due to time management. Mm. It was reading the requirement. And that, that comes up in a few of them, but they said, you know, like a, a huge amount of students did this one part of the question it was I think it was a sentence which had you know two things to do within the sentence but people didn't read it so they just did that first part of the sentence so they all missed out on, on half the marks in that question yeah and another thing that uh, some of them said was about question spotting that again it wasn't to do a time let's say a 50 mark question might have let's say four requirements a lot of students were doing two or three of the requirements that weren't doing all four because they're trying to guess what's coming up in the paper. And students still ask us all the time, what are our tips? And our tips are pretty much everything in the syllabus comes up in every paper. Yeah. And they're so wide ranging and there's like multi topics come up in the same 10 mark or 15 mark question. And students still insist on question spotting. And to yeah. be honest, if you, if you actually spent that time studying instead of trying to figure out what question they're going to come up next your life will be an awful lot easier. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is just one point which actually I've never seen an examiner and they may have in the past, but I don't think so. I've never seen an examiner make a point like they did in SBL 
where they actually said that some of the comments read written by students were actually rude (laughs) and that some of the feedback they get and I think we're in a unique position that um, I kind of sometimes think is it just a the internet when you're the as a kind of the the wild people on the internet who get in front of the keyboard warriors and like i guess as a as an online provider um to filter when people are sending us messages and some of the things they write to us as a company um leave a lot to be desired at some points because of that keyboard warrior idea and i think one of the things like but the fact that an examiner has to point out that some of the things written in an exam paper were rude yeah. so like these are worldwide exams there are thousands of people taking the exam and this is what the There's examiner enough, team are yeah. picking up on um, and that a lot of the answers were nowhere near professional guys you're supposed to go out into the real world now and work with companies and whatever about an examiner saying they're rude that will not be tolerated yeah. in, in any environment so no absolutely and it's to bring it back to the exams as well, it's crazy because particularly in SPL there's a large chunk of marks available for just being professional, professional. So, and anybody who thinks that's professional you should maybe consider a new career yeah. um, because it's far from it and you've just lost 20% of the marks and you've just made an examiner really not looking yeah. positive towards you <laughs> and um, if you fail and you're writing like that you shouldn't be surprised and I think just on that because it's a good point that thing of winning over the examiner and, and trying to make them look favourably and, and see what they a lot of them said was it, the people who assumed the role of the character or got into the scenario and answered in that way like that's added a lot of value to papers because yeah. I think they said you know most students will, will start answering they'll give definitions but the ones who really get into the scenario that's been provided start, you know, thinking commercially, thinking what might be affecting those companies, bringing that real world into the exam. They're the ones who scored really well. Well, it's all common sense. There's nothing we said here that anybody could say, I don't understand. Yeah. It's really, really common sense stuff. And all you should do is make a list of the three or four points we've covered here and just make sure to follow that in any exam you're doing and you'll get extra marks because of it. So I think if we haven't made it clear enough already, everyone after this should be, if you haven't done so, um, reading the exam report. We also have all of our exam report debriefs from our tutor up on the course page. So you can watch that as well, which gives kind of a highlight of those key points um, in each examiner report for each subject. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider. So our first news story, the International Monetary Fund has cut its outlook for global economic growth this year and next. I think the outlook is now at the lowest levels since the financial crisis. The world economy will expand just 3.2% this year and 3.5% next year. So still expanding, but at the lowest possible levels. And this is mainly due, they say, to trade tensions and tariffs, um, I think particularly between the US and China, and then also Brexit concerns, which probably haven't been helped this week with some recent elections. We should have a, a, a little competition in the future about how many words into a story before Brexit's mentioned. Yeah, yeah. It really is a central It's Brexit or Facebook seems yeah. to be our recurring It's all right. Things. There's a new prime minister in place. He's going to sort it all out. So that, that's fine. He's assured uh, us. He's assured us. He said he would. And he, you can believe him. Um, yeah, like it, it is a funny thing, like the growth thing. Everybody thinks that jobs are going up and certain economies are doing well and there's less people unemployed. But as a global economy, it's not like, have we really recovered from the financial crisis? 
I think we just had different crises over and over that the like Brexit, like China mm. and the US, like things happening around the fluctuating oil prices. It's yeah. just it's it's a, everything's just a little bit chaotic. I don't think there's ever been a time in the last kind of ten years that things have kind of returned. Steady, yeah, have steadied up. There's always been a a kind of a a crisis yeah. around the corner. And it's yeah, I suppose it's just turbulent and it all boils down to risk. Really, is that the people yeah. just are seeing all these crazy events and different things and and you know there's probably no economy the, the stable ones before that you might have guaranteed or the stable unions are are probably coming up <laughs> into air now at this stage well there used to be a thing with like when people trade um periods of uncertainty were good um but when you're just going through uncertainty all of the time that's not good so like if you kind of have and, and traders would say, well, like with foreign exchange or anything like that, if, if they are, um, when periods of uncertainty happen, that's kind of where they make their money and they're trying to guess what will happen. But when you're in a constant period of uncertainty, it's like, where do you go? What's causing it today? What's mm. going? But it also shows the global, that it really is a global economy. Yeah, yeah. That whereas beforehand, okay, well, Brexit might have affected parts of Europe, but wouldn't have had effect on the US, for example. Yeah. It really is um, global uncertainty now. Yeah. And just on that, but like Brexit, the vote was 2016, wasn't it? And then the campaign running before that. And we're now yeah. coming up to towards... 2020 pretty quickly yeah we're, so just, we're enjoying every single part of it yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's the, the never ending show it's, it's like you wonder did they pick Halloween on purpose so the 31st of October is like I don't know you can just imagine the whole yeah. British cabinet going over dressed up kind of going we're definitely leaving now yeah, yeah what's, <laughs> the, what's the scariest thing we could do on yeah. 30 and, and it's just I, people I think just got fatigue and just want to get to the after point yeah uh, and, and it's kind of going well just let's get there and deal with it because you can't plan for anything at the moment no, because and, you still and I think the only people are um, big consultants we talked about that yesterday big consultancy firms are kind of play you're, you're being yeah. plagued on uncertainty and are and are kind of having a. I guess they're having a great time because uh, they'll probably never find out whether they're right or wrong yeah, yeah <laughs> but, but they're uh, assuring you they know they're assuring you they know that, there's a, like, if they a give confidence you enough, that yeah, they give you enough answers them. that one of them might be right it's a bit like a uh, Question spotting. Yeah, yeah, to, to all time back. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story. The next story is to do with the car manufacturer. So Volvo are recalling half a million cars worldwide um, due to a risk of engine fires. So there's no reports of any injuries or accidents yet, but in rare cases, I think there's a risk that part of the engine can melt and in very extreme cases could catch fire. No big um, deal. Then. So no, no big deal. No, no big deal. Yeah, no till one deal, of them yeah. catches fire. Yeah. So I think this. Um, they say this affects a certain type of car that they've been manufacturing between 2014 and 2019. So you can see that's probably where the half a million comes from. Yeah. Um, so obviously something like this, there's a huge cost to it to to recall that amount. But do you see any lasting other implications? Do you think? stuff like brand and trust or is there another story like this every I, week? I used to think it did but like the whole um, emission scandal yeah. yes there's been industry fines but like nobody's ever gone along and said I'm not buying this certain car because of this and I think if you look if you looked in the last two years probably every car manufacturer major one has probably done some kind yeah, of recall yeah. and they kind of become I had to say for the slightly older um, 
listeners maybe it keeps come fight club keeps coming into my head because that's the job <laughs> yeah. that, that he had was he yeah. was assessing and you kind of he was trying to assess whether or not it's worthwhile doing a recall or if certain people getting hurt and that's obviously okay. what they have then because there's no reported they, accidents exactly so they but the whole i think with the whole car industry in general there's a whole area of trust involved um and does it affect your brand? Yes. But if you actually said, I'm going to buy a new car and I'm only going to buy, I'm going to buy from a car brand I really trust that hasn't been involved in anything, that's yeah. never done a recall, I think you'd be walking an awful lot. And I think that, that, so yes, it impacts, but I'm not too sure it has a huge impact anymore. I think people are, again, a bit like Brexit. They're so fatigued by emissions and, and not trusting car companies in the way that people used to really trust your your bank. Yeah. And that's gone. And I don't think that will ever be recovered either. Yeah. I think car companies are somewhere in that same area. But you see it with, um, wasn't it Samsung, the phones that we're catching when on fire, catching fire. Yeah, on airplanes which wasn't it, yeah, which is never never great but how yeah. you know again they that's an older model there's a new batch of models with a better camera that look better and yeah. people oh and buy that it's okay you know, and, will do and I have a Samsung thing. and I you know I'd never think um, oh, I'm not going to get a Samsung because of that previous I yeah. think people have short memories and companies have quick churn out of new products especially and new with big ads. brands if you were if you were a, a relatively young company it might damage your reputation but a big brand like that they'll just do extra ads on TV and, yeah, and, and show more mountains from Sweden and then everybody yeah, will be yeah. everybody will be pretty happy with them again yeah I certainly will each week at the end of the show we answer questions sent in by our listeners you can send in your questions by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at learnsignal. So we're going to focus on one student question today, which comes in from Lara from Slough in the UK. Um, but it's one that a lot of students have been asking, particularly around now and since results. So Lara asked, is there a six-week study plan I can use? The one on the resources page is for 12 weeks, but is there a shorter period plan? I think the answer is yes. The, the, I suppose the, the whole design about the um, study plan is that I remember a student question saying, I have 89 days to my exam or something. Can I have an 89-day study plan? <laughs> you can go, sure, it's right beside the 87-day study plan. Um, if we had to do a study plan yeah. for every scenario and every situation, it would just be impossible. So obviously we design the study plans around the duration that we think you should be studying for. Again, we talked about the examiner reports where examiners are more and more encouraging students to study over a long period of time. Um, but there are Excel versions. And I think what we talk about is keeping boot camp and webinar week kind of sacred nearly yeah. that, that that you have to be ready for boot camp webinar week there's a little bit of room in there to catch up um but certainly by the time boot camp boot camp comes with 3 weeks to go before your exam you should be ready so i think if there's 8 weeks of study and you've got 3 weeks to do it well it's just simply reorganizing the dates and yeah, fitting yeah. it in in 8 weeks there's no there's no shortcuts. There's no way of saying, oh, no, the fact you've only got six weeks, you don't have to do these two subjects. No, it's, no. it's not that at all. And it, I think on that um, and what you were saying about boot camp, it's really the idea that you can't be eating into that question practice side and that exam technique. And we don't want people to ever say, well, I'm two weeks behind, so I'm just going to spend two more weeks watching videos and not yeah. like that question practice is so essential to developing your exam technique. But yeah, really, they're, you know, they're designed to be manageable. And we get people even, you know, it's a 12-week plan, week 11, saying I'm just starting now. And it's just about slotting in the time. So maybe over, you know, 
week week 10 and week 9 you fit that week 11 in and you get um, a bit in extra there yeah like but, the plans are designed to slip into your life yeah and that yes you do have to study and yes you do have to plan around it but they shouldn't dominate your life the longer you wait to start studying the more study will have to dominate your life so when we're kind of saying okay from if you start at 12 weeks out you kind of do an average of maybe an hour or so a day maybe five or six days a week we roughly think that's how long it'll take and it might get a bit more as you come closer to the end but if you've got six weeks to go you are still there's no shortcuts there's no special way of doing it it's just a case of well then you just have to put in more hours every day yeah to make up but there is a you are losing out because there is this period of time when the kind of information sinks into your head Mm. uh, and you're kind of your subconscious is kind of assimilating it even if you're not thinking about it and you do miss out on that and, uh, and again, the examiners are highlighting that, that it's it's very clear that a lot of students are kind of last minute studiers and are not getting the point of the subject. Yeah. And I think that was the idea with, with the plans is that you have everything in front of you on one page. So then you can plan and slot that you're not worried about you're missing stuff or other bits of study that, that are going to come up or come into it. So yeah. it's, it's really it's all there. It puts it in very manageable format. So it's about, as you said, slotting that into your life. And that was one thing on our weekly webinar that came up because a lot of people have been asking this. And I was on the webinar um, yesterday and go through how you can kind of adjust one of those plans. So if anyone does want to see that, um, you can see those webinars up on the course page. But it's it's a lot simpler than it seems. But the key point is it's not about trying to cut a lot out of it. It's, yeah. it's not a, um, you know a, an exercise in deleting things. It's really about just reordering it and remanaging it and kind of prioritizing that into your next couple of weeks but still doing all the work yourself but still doing it that is the key point so we're going to finish up there today once again thanks for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye